Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. I better... I better look to see if my notes are in my Bible after you made that comment. I guess they're still here. Um, Genesis chapter 13 is the wrong one. That was this morning. What am I preaching about? <laughs> Colossians, that's what I, where I'm going. Colossians. My goodness, I already got the wrong one. There's next Sunday, so I got it already fixed. I better hold on to it. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. The first 14 verses, I'd have been in terrible shape. I remember a preacher who was called to a church one time. Uh, I suppose this is true. I don't know it for a fact, you know. And he preached the sermon. The next Sunday he preached the same. And he preached the same one the next Sunday. And on and on it went. Until the people began to look at each other a little bit. And finally the deacon board decided they were going to have to do something about the fact that he's preaching the same sermon every Sunday. So they called him aside one morning after the service and said, Preacher, don't you realize that every Sunday you've been here you've preached the same sermon? He said, Yes, I know that's true, and as soon as you start doing that one, then I'll get another one. So, well, I'm not going to try that. I don't think it'd probably work anyway. Uh, okay, in, first, uh, in uh, the first chapter of Colossians is where we're going to be. Now for... I believe five Sundays now, this should be the fifth one I think, we have been dealing with the general subject of the standard of living for the Christian. Dealing with the words that Paul have, has given us in the book of Colossians. And we dealt with several subjects, and I'm going to spend the time reiterating those subjects this evening. I want to conclude this series this evening with the specific subject, a worthy life. A worthy life. The standard of living for a Christian, what is expected of us, and we dealt with the subjects of getting rid of some things and adding some things to our life, and a one-to-one -one relationship between husbands and wives and parents and children and employees and employers and all of that. Now let us summarize it this evening by dealing with the subject of a worthy life and what is a life that would be considered worthy or acceptable in the sight of the Lord. All right, in first chapter, in the first chapter, the first 14 verses, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which we have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringing forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth as ye also learned of Ephrathus our dear fellow servant 
who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. And for this cause, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthening with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who have delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Now, I think we're going to have to tear that apart a little bit to see really what he's talking about. Paul has heard from the pastor of the church that they are being very faithful in growing in knowledge. He has learned of their love of the Lord, and he is writing back to the church and responding to them, and he's telling them that he has heard of all of this, and he has some things that he wants to say to them. And he tells them in the ninth verse that he has a desire. If you look at that word, he says that he does not cease to pray for them, and he says, and to desire, to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. His desire is that they know God's will. This ought to be the desire of any preacher. It ought to be the desire of the deacon board and of all of the Sunday school teachers and anybody else in position of responsibility within the church that all of the church, every person in the church, come to know God's will. Now the Greek word for knowledge is gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, but this is not the word that Paul uses here for knowledge. He uses epinosis, E-P-I-G-N-O-S-I-S, and it has a different meaning because of his little prefix that he puts on the Greek word. It would be properly translated super-knowledge. Now listen to what he said. It is my desire that you have super-knowledge. We talk about super-everything today, don't we? Everything is super. Super-knowledge. This is more than just book knowledge. It is a knowledge that brings one to a position of being able to understand and know what God's will is. This is not simply being able to relate the stories of the scripture, but being able to interpret the scripture to our daily life. That's super knowledge. There are many people who know the scriptures as far as book knowledge is concerned and can quote to you from most places in the scripture and can tell you where the stories are found and what the stories are, but may end up being lacking when it comes to 
application of that same knowledge to God's will for our lives. And so Paul desires that they have a super knowledge, the ability to understand and to apply God's will to their lives. He, he says, he goes on and says that they have this knowledge in all wisdom and in spiritual understanding. What is he talking about? Let me suggest this to you. That he is suggesting that they have the knowledge of God's master plan. The knowledge of God's master plan. God has a plan for this world. Do we know what it is? God has a plan for this church. Do you know what it is? God has a plan for your life. Do you know what it is? Do you have super knowledge in that you are able to understand what God's plan for this world is? You're able to understand what God's plan for this church is? And you're able to understand what God's plan for your life is? I think we come up far short, probably in all three of those. I suspect sometimes we're not quite sure just where we as a church are going. <laughs> Fairly, and I talked a little bit about this afternoon. I'm not going to belabor the issue this evening, just in our general conversation. That every church needs to know what its aim is, what its goals are, where it's going, what it is intending to accomplish, and how it fits into the plan that God has. But further, we each have been selected by God for a specific purpose. Now, I think it is important for us to realize that there is a plan in God's scheme of things for your life and for mine. Do you know what God's plan is for you? And how are you fitting into that plan? Is the question that Paul feels that this church in Colossae needs to have the super knowledge in order that they can be able to apply that knowledge to their own life and to the life of their church. Now, education is good, and we all need to have a certain amount of education. The knowledge of God's Word is good, and we all need that, but we need more. We need the wisdom to apply that which we know so that we can interpret God's will and make the proper application of this knowledge to our daily life and to the life of our church. Now, this is not an end in itself to have the knowledge as to what God's plan is for the church, what God's plan is for our individual life. But we must now, as a knowledgeable person, as one with the awareness of what God's purpose is for the church, for our life, and of course for the world, walk our daily walk worthily. Walk worthy. Ephesians 4.1, Paul tells the church at Ephesus to walk worthy of our vocation. What that plan is for you, are you living your daily life in a manner that would your life would be considered worthy in the, in the eyes of the Lord? When I uh, was preparing this sermon, I, I couldn't help but think of the commercial that the Army has, I believe it's the Army. Uh, those of you who will uh, remember it, uh, 
after the service can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's the Army, when the young man comes to his father's working in his shop and announces that he wants to join the Army, which is not exactly what the father wants for his son. But the son finally convinces the father that this is what he wants very desperately. And so finally the father says, so you want to be a soldier? And then he takes him in his arms and said, then be a good one. So you want to be a Christian? Then be a good one. Don't settle for second best. Don't settle for second rate. But walk worthy of your vocation as a Christian. He said in the letter to the Philippians, he said, walk worthy of the gospel. He said in 1 Thessalonians, walk worthy of God. Which I think we can interpret to mean, conduct yourself in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. Moffat, the translator of the scriptures, translates it this way. Give him entire satisfaction. Goodspeed translates it, be wholly pleasing to him. J.B. Phillips translates it, bring joy to his heart. Walk worthy of the Lord. Back in the Old Testament, we have the story of Job. And uh, in the first chapter, we have the story of Satan coming into heaven and being in the presence of the Lord. And the Lord asks him, if we had time I'd read it, but I'll skip over the reading, uh, ask him, where have you been? And, and, and Satan said, I have been down on the earth going to and fro, you know, and just enjoying myself. This is my translation. And God said, well, while you were down there, did you observe my servant Job? Now let me read that part to you. There is none like him in all the earth. A perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Who is bragging? God. God is bragging. And he's saying, hey, Satan, did you see my man down there? My man Job? There's nobody like him in all the earth. He's perfect. He's upright. He fears me. He hates evil. Have you ever seen anybody like that? God is bragging. Whatever we do, whatever your vocation is, whatever your job is, whatever your status in life, the Lord is saying, do it all to the glory of God. Do it all. If you're a secretary, you ought to be the best secretary you can be to the glory of God. If you're a coal miner, you ought to mine coal to the glory of God. If you're in business, you ought to be in business to the glory of God. If you teach school, you ought to teach school to the glory of God. If you're a retired person or a housewife or whatever you might be, we ought to walk worthy of the vocation for which we have been called. And I believe God calls coal miners and God calls housewives 
And God calls school teachers just as much as he calls preachers. We're all in the same business of being sure that our lives are honorable in the sight of the Lord. Now, what are some of the things that we'll have to go over these quickly without spending a lot of time on them? What are some of the things that would make our life worthy? In verse 10, you will find that he says that you walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. Being fruitful. This is important. We believe earnestly that we are saved by grace through faith and that not of works, lest any man should boast. This, this, this is a bottom line for all Christian belief in Jesus Christ. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. But this does not excuse us to do nothing. We are expected to be fruitful. When you go out in your garden, if you have uh, uh, strawberries that are supposed to produce all season long, you anticipate finding strawberries on those vines when you go out there. You want continual production. And this is what God wants. He wants year-round continual production. Now, one of the tragedies is that within our churches, there are lots of people who are not productive all year long. There are seasonal producers. There are those who produce at Christmas time and at Easter time and at other times. There are those who may produce six months out of the year or nine months out of the year, but we need people who are productive all year long. And so one of the things that we can say about a worthy life is that he is a, a perennial producer. He produces all year long. This is what God wants. A complete producer. Secondly, we can find in the same verse that he wants us to increase in knowledge. Increase in knowledge. Paul told Timothy, who was a young preacher in the second, second Timothy 2.15. He said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is important. It is very important for a Christian to study. I brag on you again, and let me, let me do it again. I brag on you for your Wednesday night attendance. I honestly have never been a part of a church that showed this much support for Wednesday night. Never. I say that honestly. Wednesday nights have been the weakest link of any church that I have ever been to pastor of. To get people to come to Wednesday night service is like pulling teeth. Now, I'm not saying you ought to rest on your laurels and sit back and not do it again. I think we ought to have even more attendance and we should never be satisfied. But I do compliment you for your interest in, in Wednesday night services. I think this is tremendous. This is imperative that we as Christian people study collectively. It is imperative that we come on Sunday morning to Sunday school. I cannot overemphasize my belief that Sunday school is extremely important, particularly for our young people, but not just for our young people, but for our adults as well. It is extremely important that we see to it that our young people get a good foundation in, in Bible teaching. I think that young guy right over there has got a good start. Let me tell you, he was quoting scripture and preaching a sermon to me. Uh, he's only five years old. He can't even read yet. Can we do that? 
There's one guy listening. <laughs> hey, that's great. That's great. <laughs> oh, my. That sure blew my mind. Where was it? <clears throat> okay, let me go on to another point. In the seventh verse. <laughs> Now, if all of you had done that, you see, I asked a question, and uh, all, all, all of us were dummies. Nobody would be willing to answer, you know, where we got, we got somebody who really would. And, uh, what? Well, that's true. I, we, the rest of us maybe be too embarrassed. Uh, that's, that's great. We ought to be able to do that, to know that we need to, to, to strengthen our knowledge in Bible study and Sunday school. All right, next point. In verse 11, he says to strengthen with all thy might. Strengthen with the power of God. Oft times we in the church start saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's somebody else. I don't know how you are in Bible school, but uh, we've already had the announcement tenses made about the Bible school coming up. We're going to need people who can and who will. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. That's Philippians 4.13. There should be no job too big or no job too small for the Christian to do when called upon to perform. We need oftentimes an attitude adjustment. An attitude adjustment. And our attitude needs to be adjusted to that very point of being with Paul and saying, well, I can do it through Christ my Lord. In Zechariah 4, 6, we have these words, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. That's how we accomplish things. Not because we have some capabilities within ourselves, but because we take our small capabilities and put them in the hands of the Lord, and he accomplishes through us many great things because it's by his might and by his power that it can be accomplished. There is a hymn that we sing. I'll do what you want me to do, dear Lord. I'll go where you want me to go. And that ought to be our prayer. Just show me the way, Lord. Tell me what you want, where you want me to go, and I'll do it. All right, fourth point. In verse 12, he says, give thanks. Give thanks for what? Give thanks unto God because he has made us fit for the kingdom of God. Now, if any of you are still having trouble about how you're saved, I want you to listen carefully. If you still not, cannot fully comprehend that you're saved by grace and not by what you do, you need to restudy the scriptures. I read a little thing somewhere about a man standing before the pearly gates and the Lord or St. Peter was questioning him about his right to enter. What right do we have to enter the kingdom of God? How are you going to explain your right into the kingdom of God? 
Are you going to be able to stand there and say, well, I went to church every Sunday of my life. Is that enough to get you in? I never told a lie. Can you get in on that? I have been completely moral and honest and upright and just. Can you get in on those merits? What possibly can you say to convince St. Peter at the pearly gates, if this were the way it were done, that you have a right to enter into the kingdom of God? If we're going to depend upon something that we do or that we accomplish to justify our entrance into the kingdom of God, we will all be turned around at the pearly gates and sent to hell. Because we cannot enter those gates on our own merit. We can only enter those pearly gates by the grace of God, which is a free gift as we have heard again and again. And that's what Paul is saying we ought to give thanks for. We have been made fit for the kingdom of God. We have been qualified for eternal life. We have been redeemed. We have been guaranteed an inheritance through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, and again in 57, he says these words, Give thanks unto God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Where do you get the victory? Won't that be the victory when we get to heaven? That's the ultimate? That's the, the end result? It will be victory through Jesus Christ, not victory through personal uh, demonstration of our abilities. And in 1 John 5, 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. What overcomes the world? Our faith. There's a hymn in your book called Victory in Jesus. I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning and his precious blood atoning. Then I repented of my sin and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. That's what gives us eternal life. Victory in Jesus. And that's why we need to live a life worthy of that victory. So that when we do come to those pearly gates, we can say, I'm not entering here because of my goodness, but I'm entering because I've got victory through Jesus Christ my Savior. But then we can go to the throne and there see our life open as a book before the, the throne of God and we will be judged out of those things that we have done. 
And the scripture says that we will be rewarded for our worthy life. What kind of rewards are you going to get? How worthy have you been? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description. Thank you for listening, and remember to try Trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.